0: And good afternoon. You're listening to Count Hodnell. This is the Count Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. One day is August the 11th, the 23rd day of the year. 142 days remain to the year's over with. On this date in 3414 B.C., the Mesoamerican long count calendar used by several pre-Columbian Mesoamerican civilizations such as the Maya, begins. Uh, 2492 B.C., traditional date of the defeat of Bel by Haik, progenitor and founder of the Armenian nation. 106 A.D., southwestern part of Dacia, that's modern Romania, becomes a Roman province, Roman Dacia. And the uh, within Romania, you'll find Transylvania. 355, Claudius Silvanus, accused of treason, proclaims himself Roman emperor against Constant, uh, Constantius II. 490, the Battle of Ada, the Goths under Theodoric the Great and his ally Alaric II, defeat the forces of Odaacer on the Ada River near Milan. I think it was Odaacer who uh, sacked and took over Rome. 923, the Cromatians of Bahrain, capture and pillage the city of Basra. 1315, the great famine of Europe becomes so dire, even the king of England has difficulties buying bread for himself and his entourage. And when a king can't get bread, that's a bad thing. 1332, Wars of Scottish Independence, the Battle of Duplin Moor, Scots under the II, Earl of Mar, routed by Edward Balliol. 1473, the Battle of Aunt Lukebelly, Ahmed the Conqueror of the Ottoman Empire decisively defeats Uzan Hassan of Akwetan. 1492, Rodrigo de Borja is elected as head of the Catholic Church. Took the name Pope Alexander VI, because nobody could spell his real name. 1675, the Franco-Dutch War forces the Holy Roman Empire to defeat the French at the Battle of Kanserbruck. 1786, Captain Francis Light establishes the British colony of Penang in Malaysia. 1804, Francis II assumes the title of the first emperor of Austria. 1812, the Peninsula War, French troops engage British Portuguese forces in the Battle of Major Donjana. 1813, in Colombia, Juan de Corral declares the independence of Antioquia. 1858 the eiger and the bernese alps is a city for the first time by charles barrington accompanied by christian almer and peter bohran 1871 an explosion of gun cotton occurs in Stowmarket, england 28 people are killed for those that are not familiar with gun uh, the Stowmarket gun cotton explosion happened at the Prentice gun cotton factory in Stowmarket, suffolk it was blown up by two massive explosions that occurred inside the factory. Killed 28 people, as I said, and injured about 70 others. Well, gun cotton began to be produced as a replacement for gunpowder as a propellant for firearms and for use in low order explosives in mining. And even before the explosion that took place at Stowmarket, Market, uh, earlier factories that had produced it discontinued production soon after. Uh, due to the explosion, due to the volatility of the substances during manufacture. It was Sir Frederick Abel who developed a manufacturing process that eliminated the impurities and natural cellulose, making it easier to produce and a stable product that was safer to handle. And it was this process that was being used at the Stone Market factory. The previous accident had killed two or three people in 1864. Well, 1898, Spanish-American War. American troops enter the city of Maguez, Puerto Rico. 1918, World War One, the Battle of Amunds ends. 1919, Germany's Weimar Republic is signed into law, or the Weimar, uh, Weimar Constitution is signed into law. 1920, the 1920 Cork hunger strike begins, which eventually results in the deaths of three Irish Republicans, including the Lord Mayor of Cork, Terence McSweeney, now, if you go on a hunger strike and kill yourself on starvation, that's just dumb. 1920, the Latvian-Soviet peace treaty, which relinquished Russia's authority and pretenses to Latvia's side, ending the Latvian War of Independence. 1929, Babe Ruth becomes the first baseball player to hit 500 home runs in his career with a home run at League Park in Cleveland, Ohio. 1934, the first civilian prisoners arrived at the federal prison at Alcatraz Island. been a military prison before that. And before that it was um, the fortress to guard the, the harbor during uh, during the Civil War. Well, in 1942, actress Hedy Lamar. And composer George Antheil got a patent for a frequency-hopping-spread-spectrum communication system. Later becomes the basis for modern technologies and wireless telephones, two-way radio communications, and Wi-Fi. And it's amazing that she came up with that. Apparently she was a pretty good inventor. 1945, Poles and Krakow engaged in a pogrom against Jews in the city, killed one and wounded five. 1952, Hussein bin Talal is proclaimed King of Jordan. 1959, Sarajevo International Airport, second largest airport in Russia opens up on this date. 1960, Chad declares independence from France. 1961, the former Portuguese territories in India of uh, Dadra and Nagar Havel merged to create the Union Territory Dadra and Nagar Havel. 1962, Vostok 3 launches from the Baikonur Cosmodrome, and cosmonaut Andrian Nikolayev becomes the first person to float in microgravity. 1965, race riots, known as the Watts Riots, began in the Watts area of Los Angeles. 1969, the Apollo 11 astronauts were released from a three-week quarantine following their liftoff from the moon. 1972, Vietnam War, last U.S. ground combat unit, leaves uh, South Vietnam. 1975, East Timor, Governor Mario Lemos-Perez of Portuguese Timor abandons the capital, Dili, following a coup by the Timorese Democratic Union in the outbreak of civil war. Between the uh, Timorese Democratic Union and Ferdinand, 1979, two Aeroflot Tupolev Tu 134s collide over the Ukrainian city of Nipodzhinsk and crash, killing all 178 on board both airliners. 1982, a bomb explodes in Pan Am Flight 830 en route from Tokyo, Japan to Honolulu, Hawaii. Killed one passenger and injured 15 others. 1984, we begin bombing in five minutes. Uh, President Ronald Reagan while running for re-election jokes while preparing to make his weekly Saturday address on national public radio. 1988, a meeting between Syed, Imam al-Sharif, Osama bin Laden, Abdullah Yusuf Azam and the leaders of the Egyptian Islamic Jihad in Afghanistan culminates in the formation of al-Qaeda. 1992, the Mall of America and Bloomington, Minnesota opens up. At that time, it was the largest shopping mall in the United States. Uh, 2000, an air rage incident occurs on board Southwest Airlines Flight 1763 when 19-year-old Jonathan Burton attempts to storm the cockpit, but he's subdued by other passengers, and they beat the crap out of him. He died of his injuries. 2003, NATO takes over command of the peacekeeping force in Afghanistan, marking its first major operation outside of Europe in its 54-year history. 2003, Jeremiah Islamiyah leader Ridwan Isamuddin, better known as Ambali, is arrested in Bangkok, Thailand. 2006, the oil tanker MT Solar One sinks off the coast of... Quimaras and the Negros Islands in the Philippines causing the country's worst oil spill. 2012, at least 306 people are killed and 3,000 others injured in a pair of earthquakes near Tabriz, Iran. 2017, at least 41 people are killed and 179 injured after two passenger trains collide in Alexandria, Egypt. And in 2023, Lunar 25 launches from the Vostokni Cosmodrome. Well... I was reading something earlier today about um, some little known things about space travel. It seems a a lot has gone on that we, the taxpayers, um, didn't know a thing about it. There's something called the NASA files and we're gonna open those up and then in our next show we'll go back to unsolved murders because there's a lot of people seem to like that and our government and all the governments that is, in actuality do a lot of things they don't want you to know about even though you're paying the bill now what the heck? Okay. It seems... There we go. A lot of things go on that we don't know about. For example, In late August of 2018, the International Space Station pressure began to drop, causing the real threat of losing the station and the six astronauts on board. There's a very real and distinct possibility of losing this, uh, what's referred to as the crowning achievement of mankind. Luckily, the astronauts discovered a hole in the hull and compensated for the pressure loss by supercharging air from the tanks of the the Progress space truck that was docked at the space station at that time. Now, there are actually two versions of what actually happened. Number one, the holes were made by aliens. Number two, the hole was made by either astronauts or cosmonauts on board the space station. And I was given what I was assured was the real version and it will um, cause you to scratch your head. Now, the year before this happened in 2017, uh, the crew of six people was on the space station. There were Russians, Oleg Artemyev and Sergei Propokaev German Alexander Gerst, Americans Andrew Fustel, who was a crew commander, Richard Arnold, and Serena Anun, A-N-U-N-O-N. Now, we need to be clear about this. She was the representative of the so-called weaker sex, if you can actually apply that expression any longer. August 8, 2018, about noon, Flight Engineer Serena uh, Anunnion closes for half an hour in the high-tech toilet uh, waste and hygiene compartment. Now, this is considered the pride and joy of American aeronautics. But after she spent that half hour in there, the Astro toilet failed permanently. It couldn't even be repaired. A lot of questions were aroused about what the hell she was doing, but... August 21st 2018 the crew commander Andrew Fustel had a long talk with the Russian cosmonauts in what were described later as obscene terms describing diapers and this damn woman and strongly requesting permission to go to the toilet in the Russian module and the Russians of course had to phone home about that request but uh, flight control center did not coordinate Uh, that particular requested decision since Russian bathroom and its reservations are and reservoirs are designed only for two people and they simply couldn't stand a triple load picture if you will being on a bus and you gotta go and there's a line waiting to go to the bathroom in the back of the bus that's pretty much the situation in addition Russian US relationships were at its lowest point at that time since the Cold War so uh, American and German astronauts are forced to wear diapers in the space station. Now, there are two toilets on board a space station, one in the Russian segment and one in the U.S. segment. Both have been, let's just say, less than uh, optimum, breaking and requiring plumbing jobs to get them working again. In May of 2009... System was installed to convert uh, recycled urine into clean drinking water. It's also recycled into water for bathing and food preparation. According to astronaut Sandra Magnus, it's one of those uh, horrible and fascinating kind of things. At the time the urine uh, recycling system was installed, she was living on the station. She said, "We're drinking processed water that started out as urine." Well, August 22nd, 2018, the American astronauts and a German who joined them had a stormy dialogue with unknown. Uh, with the question, Where are we now gonna put those used diapers? After filling in all the standard garbage containers. So it was decided to temporarily store diapers in A7L suits designed for going out into outer space. In other words, the space suits that you would wear if you were doing a spacewalk were not gonna be used to hold used diapers. Meanwhile, Serena Anunion is constantly crying, saying that the ISS now smells disgusting and requires a special treatment for her. because she's a woman, don't you know? August twenty third, 2018, crew commander Andrew Fustel reports to Houston about the critical situation in the American segment, requests to send a ship to evacuate Serena for health reasons. But Houston uh, declines, saying that the money for diaper evacuations is not... included in the NASA expedition budget. But that response, Serena Anunnion continues her crying, Jag. August 24, 2018, a serious conflict arises in the American segment of the International Space Station, caused by the fact that Serena is outraged by the unsanitary conditions and the zero gravity, and she no longer intends to constantly carry diapers, sniff, and watch all the poop that flies across the, the module. She's trying to beat the space plates on the floor and seizes the German that fell under her hot hand in zero gravity. In other words, she had a meltdown. Well, August twenty fifth, twenty eighteen, Russian cosmonauts go into outer space to carry out work on the orbiting of uh, four nano satellites, installing the antenna for the Russian-German experiment Icarus, and disposing uh, disposing of two spent electronic units, which. Um, were designed to burn up in the atmosphere. Of course, they categorically refused to dispose containers with American diapers out into space since this wasn't part of their flight mission. They thought it was kind of funny, frankly. Same time, flight engineer Serena Nunyan, imperceptibly for others, penetrates the toilet of the Russian segment, locks herself in, pulls out a portable electric drill from her space trousers and drills a hole in the wall of the space toilet. Upon coming back to the station, the Russian cosmonauts detect the safety system signal depressurization immediately compensate for the loss of air pressure from the tanks of Progress MSO-9 space truck, which, as I said, was at that point in time connected to the space station. August 26, 2018, there was a harsh debriefing on the American segment. Serena, weeping, confesses she made a hole in the space wall and it she simply didn't see any option to to get him to abandon ship. And besides, she wanted to call the ship at the expense of the Russians and, in the process, discredit the backward Russian technology. Crew commander tries to get her to calm down, but amazingly praises her for the ingenuity she shows at putting the blame on the Russians. Meanwhile, the Russians, centimeter by centimeter, inspect the uh, International Space Station body with a special electronic video endoscope, the J-Probe NT, and eventually find an ideally round hole in the toilet with a a diameter of two millimeters. And the air is whistling from the station through that hole. The cosmonauts, of course, are puzzled as to what could have made the hole. August 27, 2018, Russian cosmonauts begin to Seal the hole with a special sealing tape. And as they were doing that, Andrew Fustel appears in the Russian segment, reminds him he's crew commander and demands to stop the repair and restoration work. Then he tries to tear off the still unconsolidated tape from the hole, but uh, immediately the Russians give him what they refer to as a decisive rebuff, resulting in light bodily injuries and. Rules of behavior in the Russian segment were reformulated in romantic expressions, after which he instantly retreats to the American segment of the station with a noticeably heavier diaper. Pressure at the station gradually stabilized at working value of seven hundred and sixty millimeters. And after this the compressors of the pressurization of the air automatically shut off. Red light goes out and the alarm stops. Well, at that point in time somebody reminded everybody about the uh, the old expression from the sailing ship days there's a woman on a ship expect trouble well apparently that applies for spaceships as well well we don't know how the diaper incident came out other than the fact that nobody died they may have smelled like they were dying, but nobody died. Now, STS-114, that was a mission on the space shuttle Discovery. First mission of its kind since the Columbia disaster two and a half years earlier in 2003. And since the the disaster of. Uh, with um, Columbia, NASA had noticeably improved what was already tight safety procedures. Maybe because of this, it was noticed almost immediately a piece of foam had appeared to break away from the Discovery's launch. Now, the mission was to dock with the International Space Station and resupply the crew that was already on board. And before doing this, Commander Eileen Collins performed a maneuver that flipped the shuttle over, exposing its underside to uh, the cameras to allow photographs to be taken from the space station. They were looking for any damage. When the pictures were studied, it was confirmed that this was the case, leading to astronaut Steve Robinson venturing out into space to carry out the repairs, but following his repairs of the shuttle, a very strange object was caught on a NASA camera. Now I will point out that even today, if you know the web address, you can view space through the cameras of the space station. But interestingly enough, whenever something unknown comes on the screen, all the cameras shut off. Must have been made by the lowest Bitter. But the object in this particular case was white against the black backdrop of space, flew by the shuttle in the distance, and appeared to stop briefly before it changed its flight path several times. This movement led to the object being nicknamed the boomerang. Well, after investigating the footage, NASA stated the object was nothing more than space debris, which is their uh, what they call almost anything they don't understand. Over Discovery, astronauts dismissed that theory, claiming the object's changing direction was proof it was intelligently guided. July 2015, astronaut Scott Kelly innocently tweeted a picture from the International Space Station. He set the record for the longest amount of time in space. Set the Internet ablaze as UFO enthusiasts claim to see a strange tubular spacecraft in the top right of the photograph that Scott Kelly sent. A strange tube-like object actually does appear to be UFO orbiting above the Earth's surface. But when the contrast of the picture was altered, it appeared to show it was nothing more than the antenna of the space station itself. Well, not only does this... Supposedly, solved the mystery as to what the object was. It also explains why Kelly wouldn't notice anything strange when he was taking the photo. Now, while he wasn't tweeting pictures of supposed UFOs, he was involved in more strange experiments for NASA. With anticipation of future manned missions to Mars, NASA needed to discover the long term effects on the human body being in space. And since he was a twin, he was the ideal candidate to monitor while in orbit and compare him to his twin brother, Mark, who was back on Earth. Now, the experiments carried out for several months following Scott Kelly's return to Earth in March of 2016 um, yielded some interesting results. According to what NASA said, the change related to 7% of the gene expression that changed during uh, spaceflight and had not returned to pre-flight levels after six months on Earth. NASA said there at the beginning of their understanding of how spaceflight affects the molecular level of the human body. NASA and other researchers collaborating on these studies announced more comprehensive results in March of 2019. They said Kelly's base DNA didn't completely change by 7% during his time in space. His gene expression, the transcribing and translation of genes, not the genes themselves, will actually change during his year on the space station. 7% never came back to normal. In other words, it was determined that space flights might change your personality, number of your traits, and your body by as much as 7%. Now, it seems that weird DNA mutation occurs in plants that go into space as well. November 2008, 250 cherry tree seeds were taken to the International Space Station. Once they were safely on board, they orbited the Earth over 4,000 times before being returned to the planet in July of 2009 and then they were planted in 14 various locations strangely the sapling had grown to 13 feet tall much faster than earthly seeds and it produced several flowers and what was even stranger than that was the flower had five petals as opposed to the 30 that's usually expected to be found exactly similar results have been recorded at three other locations now what scientists can't say for sure at the time, the seeds been orbiting the Earth and the space station played a part in their quickened growth on Earth. They stated they couldn't rule it out being a factor either. The seeds' exposure to stronger cosmic rays in outer space was given as one possibility for the, the results that were now being seen. Ultimately, until further study is done, scientists don't know why the saplings progress so rapidly and produce so many strange flowers. April 2016 20 year old Jacob Beeson from Starport on Severn in Worcestershire, England was viewing the Inter- live international space station feed on his mobile phone when he suddenly saw something that just left him stunned. What appeared to be moving away from the space station, he claims he spotted what looked like a metal metallic spaceship that resembled the Millennium Falcon. It's Han Solo's spacecraft in the Star Wars movies. He said the object was visible for about 2 minutes and had a blue glow around it. Now he admitted he's a UFO fan, but he has no idea what it was and found it very strange. He sent a screenshot of the footage straight to NASA in hopes of an explanation as to what he saw. Of course, they didn't respond. When in doubt, ignore it. The VA does a lot of that too. International Space Station's live video feed allows space enthusiasts to view the Earth and other space. Uh, the uh, cameras that are fitted underneath the orbiting structure. On a number of occasions, there have been sightings of objects claiming to be alien visitors, which are almost always proven to be something more mundane, such as space debris. However, a number of times, NASA's appeared to sever the live feed. Seconds after strange objects were coming into the camera's view. This, of course, creates suspicion among already suspicious UFO hunters and enthusiasts, but uh, tends to lend a little credibility to the fact that NASA does indeed have something to hide. In March 2016, the feed was cut when a horseshoe-shaped UFO appeared to come into view. Alien hunter Tyler Glockner, who uploaded the footage to the internet, stated that NASA has been doing this for years and that his blog has documented this for some time. He stated, sometimes the people monitoring the feed are simply not quick enough and on many occasions UFOs have been visible for some time before the screen goes blue and the feed is cut. January 2015, the live feed was cut several seconds after a small gray object came into view. It appeared to be leaving the Earth's atmosphere. Glockner claimed to have caught a similar example in June of 2014 on a video he uploaded to his blog. The video managed to freeze frame on what appeared to be a large triangular spacecraft coming out of the darkness of space approaching the Earth. Six months earlier, another video appeared to show NASA cutting the live feed when a Strange yellow craft was said to be docked at a space station. On this particular occasion, the footage was left for two minutes before the blue screen took its place. In August of 2006, on its way to the International Space Station, the space shuttle Atlantis is said to have been monitored and followed by a strange set of triangular lights. Whether the lights belonged to one craft or if they were individual objects it really wasn't stated, and it, you couldn't tell from the the video itself. However, according to NASA's usual claims, UFO enthusiasts saw nothing more than glowing space debris. On a more serious note, NASA did investigate the lights. They seemed to come into view just short of 30 seconds into the launch. When memories of the 2003 tragic Columbia mission still fresh in everybody's mind, NASA immediately's response was to rule out the lights as part of the shuttle that might have broken away. NASA ultimately stated, although it was late in the launch to see this kind of debris, it's certainly not unusual. Debris can be jettisoned from the shuttle as the bay doors are open during the liftoff procedure. The explanation afforded was the lights, which they admitted were very close to the shuttle, could have been uh, ice. Now, didn't know ice had electrical connections, but apparently so. That being said, Atlantis Commander Brett Jett stated later that the object didn't look like anything he'd seen outside the shuttle before and unlike any space debris he could expect to witness. And while on a spacewalk to collect samples outside the International Space Station in August 2014, Russian astronauts claimed to have discovered living organisms, alive and well, that were clinging to the outside of the craft. Organisms are said to be identified as plankton that most likely originated on Earth. Astronauts aren't sure how exactly the plankton could have gotten there, nor how they survived in outer space, but NASA will tell you they're seldom wrong. So I just ruled out the theory of the plankton hitching ride on a spacecraft due to the fact species identified weren't found anywhere near any of the launch points. And the fact that living organisms can be found 16 to 32 kilometers—that's 10 to 20 miles—above the Earth is nothing compared to the space station being 322 kilometers—that's 200 miles—above the Earth's surface. It suggests such life forms can survive in the complete vacuum of outer space. 2005, Leroy Chow was commander of the International Space Station. On a spacewalk, he saw white lights aligned in an upside-down check formation, whiz right past him. He said a string of fishing boats along the South Africa, NASA said a string of fishing boats along the South African coast could explain what he saw. But let's be frank here, child was 230 miles above the Earth when this happened. That had to be some hellacious strong boat spotlights to be seen from all the way up there. Early 2005, the same astronomer starved to death on the space station. Winter 2004, though, an unmanned cargo ship to deliver fresh food and supplies to the space station was delayed. In response, the crew members on board Expedition 10, uh, Commander Leroy Chow of the U.S., and Flight Engineer Salazan Sharapov of Russia had to ration their meals. Two ended up severely cutting their regular food consumption to conserve supplies, eating mostly desserts and candies for weeks. I've done that before, because they're good. Well, in 2014, European Space Agency astronaut Samantha Cristoforetti was on her way to the International Space Station for the first time when she saw the normally gray ISS bathed in a glowing orange light. She was a little bit taken aback by the, what she said was the beauty of what she was seeing, and she wrote about it in a blog post. She said the enormous several panels are inundated with a blaze of orange light, vivid, warm, almost alien. Of course, not any other astronauts saw this effect before or after. Maybe it was done just for her. October 2013, crew aboard the International Space Station saw a strange jellyfish cloud hovering above the earth. Nothing scheduled to be launched from the U.S. that day, and initial investigations left the crew with no idea what they were seeing. Following a report from the Russian military, it appeared the cloud was a result of a Russian rocket test that had been carried out that day in Kazakhstan. Russians report us stated the purpose of the test was to confirm characteristics of the Topol missile well as to test the launch site itself. But it wasn't the only strange clouds that were witnessed by the crew of the space station. One of the phenomena they were studying was lightning that occurs in the upper atmosphere. These forks of lightning appear to shoot upwards. It's not known why or if they're related to traditional lightning that we see from Earth or if it's a Separate unknown uh, phenomena. And NASA scientists hope to be able to gain a better understanding of energy transferred through monitoring the strange lightning. Particularly, they want to know how gamma rays are formed, what type of lightning this happens. Well, you know, interestingly enough, Another place you can see mummies besides Egypt is in space. Well, it would seem that space exploration research has claimed a number of animal lives, and while the idea of sacrificing monkeys and dogs on the altar of science is somewhat disheartening, the notion of dead monkeys and dogs in orbit right now just kind of creepy. Now, several early space missions involved were into procedures, but not every spacecraft was recovered. And this leads a number of researchers to theorize maybe dozens of mummified animals are still making the orbital rounds in space. and They appear to be mostly American because one famous Russian space dog made six space flights in 1959 and 1960 and lived happily ever after when he got back the 6th time. But, many other four-legged astronauts didn't make it back and apparently they are still in orbit. So the next time you wish upon a star, and make sure it's a star and not a spacecraft. Now, yeah, more interesting, in 1960, science fiction author Robert Heinlein reported while he was traveling in Russia, he met uh, several supposed insiders who told him that recently had been a manned space launch. The launch capsule, the Corporal Sputnik 1, experienced a mechanical failure when the guidance system steered it in the wrong direction. This made retrieval of the capsule impossible, and the Corporal Sputnik 1 was stranded in orbit around the Earth. Now, the Soviets, of course, claimed the launch was a unmanned test flight, but according to Heinlein, there may have been a cosmonaut inside, and to lend some evidence to his theory, two Italian amateur radio operators said they picked up a number of radio transmissions they claimed came from a doomed Soviet cosmonaut, and I heard that from two or three other sources as well when I was in South America. Archiel and Giovanni Judica, Cordiglia, a pair of brothers from Turnbegin, monitoring uh, we're monitoring Soviet space program transmissions in 1957. And these transmissions proved Yuri Gagarin wasn't actually the first man in space. In November 1960, they claimed to hear an SOS coming from a Soviet spacecraft. And based on the transmissions, they determined that the craft was moving away from Earth instead of orbiting it, which meant the Soviets accidentally launched their cosmonaut deep into outer space. They eventually made several recordings They claim were emergency transmissions from the Soviet cosmonaut being launched away from Earth. In the recordings, you can hear a woman's voice saying in Russian she can see flames and she's asking mission control if her ship's about to explode. And if the recordings are real, then it means that the uh, first woman in space was actually launched by the Soviets and apparently died in space which does raise a number of uh, fascinating questions. Hmm. I'm getting some very strange um, messages on my system here. Maybe we're in orbit and don't know it. All righty. Back to what we were doing. Let's try one more time. All righty. Well, the higher-than-intended orbit turned out to be an innocuous problem for the first official Soviet and world cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin as well. Not only did he not land on his target, he didn't land inside the capsule. He actually ejected from his Vostok 1 and landed softly with his own parachute. His off-target landing was a result of the only major malfunction in the mission. Just after the retro fire burned during the early reentry and early descent, Vostok 1 began to roll. And it got worse when the instrument unit failed to separate from the the descent portion of the spacecraft. A series of cables failed to sever completely, keeping the two portions linked together. Well, they eventually separated ten minutes after they were supposed to, when the heat from the atmosphere burned through the cables. Gagarin was spared a dangerous tumbling re-entry. And then again, the main parachute for the Vostok was uh, late to deploy, forcing Gagarin to eject from the capsule early. And he separated from his ejection seat and opened his own parachute. And Vostok's parachute did eventually open, but well after Gagarin's did. The cosmonaut landed ten minutes after and miles away from his capsule and Sarutava, a region of the Soviet Union not far from the border with Kazakhstan, landed in rural farmland, startling curious onlookers with a spacesuit and helmet. Well, of course, his first uh, concern was to find a telephone, call for a taxi. He knew he was off target and had to alert ground control. He landed safely. And his true descent method, which makes it abundantly clear that he didn't land inside his capsule, wasn't revealed until 1971. Reports also praised Gagarin for his perfect flight, but in fact, he didn't pilot the Vostok capsule. Psychologists working on the Soviet space program were worried that exposure to weightlessness would impact the pilot's decision-making patterns, so the pilot was effectively locked out of controlling his own space capsule. The capsule's controls were locked. Only a predetermined six-digit code could unlock uh, and give him control, but you had to enter it on a special onboard logic clock and the pilot was only told the first three digits. If he lost contact with the ground, or if he was in danger and needed to control the capsule to save his life in the mission, he could open a sealed envelope to contain the missing digits. Without forcibly unlocking the controls, the capsule would be entirely controlled either by automatic systems or by the ground flight mission control. Gagarin, if for whatever reason, did not open the sealed envelope. Well, he wound up becoming a world hero. But the question is how many uncounted human and animals, American and Russian, would be hero mummies floating in outer space? Well, all three crew members of Soyuz 11 and 12 members of two American space shuttles, the Columbia and the Challenger, died when depressurized doing either re-entry or liftoff. But in 1965, a technician at Johnson Space Center in Houston lived to tell about the experience. He was inside a vacuum chamber, an accident that depressurized his spacesuit. His last memory before he lost consciousness, the sensation of the moisture on his tongue beginning to boil. The experts don't all agree on the full symptoms of rapid uh, decompression, but among the possibilities are swollen flesh, vaporizing blood, exploding eyeballs, and ruptured lungs. That's something to write home about. This extraordinarily animal account of the 1967 death of a Russian cosmonaut comes from revelations from a KGB officer named Vinyamin Rusyev. He said, so there's a cosmonaut up in space circling the globe, convinced he'll never make it back to Earth. And he's on the phone with Soviet Premier Alexei Kosygin. He was crying because he also thinks the cosmonaut's gonna die. And the space vehicle is shoddily constructed running dangerously low on fuel and its parachutes won't work and the cosmonaut uh, Vladimir Komarov is about to literally crash full speed into Earth, his body turning molten on impact. As he head to his doom, he has listening post in Turkey, hear him crying in rage, cursing the people who put him inside a bot spaceship. And what's more shocking, that uh, Komarov himself expected to die. He told the KGB agent, Vinayim Rishiev, I'm not going to make it back from this flight. And he asked uh, Kamarov if he was eventually going to die, why not she refuse the mission? Well, he said if I don't make this flight, they'll send the backup pilot instead, and that's Yuri Gregerian, and he'll die instead of me. we got to take care of him. Well, Gagarin was just as anxious to take care of uh, Komarov, it seems. On launch day, April 23rd, 1967, he showed up at the launch site, demanded to be put in a spacesuit, even though nobody was expecting him to go up in the in the um, spacecraft. Soviet journalist who was there, Yaroslav Golovanov, called this behavior a sudden caprice. They thought Gagarin was trying to muscle into the flight to save his friend. When well, American intelligence monitoring is so used, and according to National Security Agency analyst uh, Perry Felwock, they knew they had problems for about two hours before Kamarov died were fighting to correct them. The uh, dialogue between Kosygin and Kamarov was uh, taped. He had a video phone conversation, and Kosygin was crying. Told him he was a hero, and guy's wife got on the line, and they talked for a while, and he told her how to handle their affairs what to do with the kids. It was not um, a good moment for anybody. Well in nineteen sixty-five, cosmonaut Alexei Lenov, Leonov, first person ever to complete a spacewalk. Trip outside the spacecraft went pretty much as planned, but when he tried to get back inside, things started to go south. When it was time to come back inside the ship, he realized the spacesuit had deformed for the lack of atmospheric pressure. He's going to have to go in head first rather than feet first, as had been planned. He simply would not fit back in the spaceship anymore and was risking to have to stay in space forever. He's also going to have to slowly let all the oxygen out of his suit in order to actually fit into the airlock. It was a very uncomfortable situation, he said. Uh, He could feel his temperature rising dangerously high with a rush of heat from my feet traveling up to my legs and arms. But, against all the odds, he did make it back inside. But his troubles didn't end there. Just before Yonov and his crewmate, Pavel Belayev, were they would start coming out of orbit and back to Earth, they realized their landing uh, module's automatic guidance system wasn't working properly. So they had to go back to Earth manually, and they had to choose where to land. morning, somewhere sparsely populated, but still within Soviet territory. So they headed for an area west of the rural mountains. But as soon as Belyeyev turned on the engines, they noticed something was up. The communication cable still connected to the landing probe and where well, the two cosmonauts were so the to the um it connected the landing probe to the orbit orbit module and it was spinning around it as a threw them off course eventually it burned through and the landing module came free, but the mishap meant they were two thousand kilometers away from their planned landing spot. And they were also going to land in two feet of snow without any shelter except their landing capsule, and they only had one pistol to protect themselves. Autograph seekers, don't you know? Leonov and his commander were forced to wait for rescue for two days, surrounded by the howls of hungry wolves and the screaming of autograph seekers. Leonov and Belyev weren't the only astronauts to have landed where they shouldn't have. Soyon Yi, the first Korean in space, was coming back from the International Space Station in 2008 when her Soyuz capsule had to switch to a backup method for re-entry and ended up going off course. 300 miles away from where she and the rest of the crew were supposed to land. Well, if Yi was surprised to have ended up there, it was nothing compared to what the Kazakhstani nomadic herders who came across her and her crewmates must have felt. Showed the Korean Space Agency they had no idea about the space program, they had no idea about astronauts, and they had really big, huge eyes when they saw us. Of course, once they realized we were human and not alien, they helped us, but until then, it was touch and go. The Shepherds helped one of these crewmates get out of the Soyuz, and luckily the crew was able to get in touch with the Russian Space Agency using the satellite phone in the Soyuz and picked up a helicopter. In fact, all Russian space crews are armed with TP-82 pistols developed specially for Russian cosmonauts and they pack enough punch to take out a half-ton grizzly bear. that specification didn't an accident either. despite our sincerest hope the Russians had armed their cosmonauts with a hand cannon to fight off aliens or in the event they got into a space train robbery gunfight with the Americans the gun was actually intended as a survival method once they got uh, they came back to Earth. Unlike the Americans who directed their spacecraft into the Pacific Ocean, Russians cleverly pointed their return capsules to the nice, soft ground of Siberia. And as it wont to happen, capsules occasionally went off course, landing somewhere else in the vast, inhospitable wasteland. In one such instance, two cosmonauts ended up stranded in the middle of the woods in the Ural Mountains, 600 miles from their intended landing spot with only a 9mm pistol to deal with the bears and the wolves that worked in the woods around them. And despite the fact that they never encountered either one, they managed to convince their bosses that future crews ought to be packing a little more firepower. Sadly, American crews never been given a survival harpoon gun to deal with the sharks in the Pacific Ocean. And of all the topics you might worry about, have you ever considered sex in space? Zero-gravity sex is a topic of immense interest to teenage fanboys and scientists alike. And while the former are into it more for the prospect of kinky encounters of the fourth kind, the latter recognize it's a necessary fact of not only prolonged space missions, but the future of the human species itself. If you're launched into space with a, shall we say, a hot babe, At some point in time, you're going to want to become uh, more than pen pals. And if we're ever going to have to leave the rock we're on, we're going to have to learn our way around extraterrestrial sex. Both the U.S. and the former Soviet Union explored this topic from a space medicine standpoint, but they took on Newton's laws of motion and actually designed special garments to aid in the act. Found a botanist suit is... Which was the, I guess you could say, the forerunner. Actually, a pair of twin jumpsuits that open in the front and fasten each other with velcro strips and zippers. Then you fasten that whole two person sex pod to a, something stable. So, but to have to go to all this effort to get it set up, is SpaceX still appealing or does it just seem awkward and creepy? You don't see that on Star Trek. Astronaut Lisa Nowak was facing attempted murder charges after she drove a 1,000 miles to confront her rival for the affection of one of the astronauts, Bill Oferlein. She also wore a diaper, so she didn't have to stop. Now, like said, she and Oferlein uh, had more than a working relationship, but less than a romantic relationship. Well, they never went into space on the same mission, but they couldn't possibly join the space sex club. You've heard of the Mile High Club? How about the Orbit Club? But clearly, some of their colleagues may well have engaged in some extraterrestrial sexual activities. Former current astronauts don't like to talk about space shuttle sex, and NASA says if it ever happened, the agency doesn't know a thing about it. Apparently, NASA's never conducted official experiments on human reproduction in space, according to a spokesman. Well, if astronauts have had sec- space sex in the space shuttle, it would have been difficult. There ain't a whole lot of privacy. Unless you're in for orgies, former shuttle was about as uh, big as a 737, and the two main areas, the crew cabin and the middle deck are each about the size of a small office. and the restroom's a little more in a seat with a curtain. There aren't any closed rooms where two people could retreat to commune. Space station, on the other hand, has a little more room to operate. Three-person crews generally separate for sleeping time. Two of them bed down in a pair of tiny crew cabins that went into the station, and the third uses a sleeping bag at the other end, almost 200 feet away. Panel strap design of a space a sex pod might not be that conductive to lovemaking as well. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. you will be talking more about sex in space at a future show. Till then, this is Ken Hudno for the Ken Hudno Show, saying have a truly great evening.